0: Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Word Balloon, the comic conversation show. John Sutras here, back from, uh, you know, San Diego Comic-Con. A lot of con crud. You can hear it in my voice. Is it me, or does my Chicago accent come through more when I have a cold? I don't know. Just a random thought. Lots of random thoughts on today's Word Balloon. Uh, This is a great conversation with Judd Winnick. We're talking, actually, the intent was to release this 4th of July weekend, and then... I don't know what to tell you, but July just got ridiculously busy with the day job, and uh, it made it that much harder to release the podcast. We're pretty close to a week schedule, but uh, what would have been about eight episodes was has only been about three so far. Uh, I think you're going to hear me slowly recover from this concord, though, because whether I accomplished it or not, it's my intent to uh, clear the cupboard... Because I'm back with uh, content from Comic-Con that I'll get to in the next couple episodes. But there are also two interviews, this one being uh, uh, with Judd Winnick, that uh, are great and happened before Comic-Con. But I really hope by August to uh, not only give you these next two episodes that were pre-Comic-Con, but all the content that I got as well in San Diego. And I got a lot more than I anticipated, which is a good problem to have. Uh, Lots of fun at Comic-Con. I will... uh, Uh, give you more details uh, on the uh, opposite end of uh, this introduction with uh, Judd Winnick. Judd is here to uh, talk just in general. He just wanted to have a fun conversation where we're talking about uh, the last uh, few things that have been happening uh, in the world of comics. Uh, You know, DC Rebirth, and uh, we look back at Exiles. He really wasn't here to promote his own series, Hilo. Uh, there is some information that comes out about Hilo uh, in the conversation, and I'll let it speak for itself. But really, as Judd said, he's like, hey, man, I just want to hang out and uh, you know have a fun chat. So, uh, And this is something we've been planning to do for a couple months. So it finally happened. And I'm happy to bring it to you now on Word Balloon. Uh, today's episode is brought to you by In Stock Trades at InStockTrades.com. Let's take a look and see what is coming uh, for uh, this week from InStockTrades.com. I think it's uh, going to be a lot of great stuff. Don't forget, if your orders are $50 or more, you'll receive free shipping. And uh, you can uh, find great deals on books like Batgirl, Volume 2, To the Death. And uh, this is an excellent collection featuring uh, Kelly Puckett, Damian Scott, and others. Cassandra Cain, Batgirl, I should uh, point that out. But a great collection. It's 45% off, just $10.99. You can get American Vampire. Man, what an amazing thing. And this is uh, the one uh, volume in particular that I was looking forward to. And that is the uh, Astronaut uh, uh, Arc. It's uh, Volume 8 of American Vampire. And uh, this book is uh, 45% off, $8.24. Got to see Scott Schneider very briefly in San Diego. I was very happy to see him. Um, What else have we got here? Uh, Here we go, Bigfoot. I should let Art Balthazar know about this. Bigfoot, Sword of the Earthman. This sounds great. And uh, it's from Action Lab. I haven't done a promoted Action Lab book in a while. And here's another uh, Comic-Con aside. Went to the Action Lab panel. And uh, they're promoting a, a bunch of uh, Franco's uh, products, including uh, Spot on Adventure, his excellent book that he made with my buddy Scoot McMahon, but uh, also Peach, which is uh, another uh, Franco project, and uh, more to come from Action Lab and Franco. But Bigfoot, Sword of the Earthman, Trade Paperback Volume 1, get in on the ground floor. Uh, this is uh, Josh Heineman and uh, Andy Taylor. It's uh, 30% off. It's just $13.99. Some of the neat stuff uh, happening at InStockTrades.com. We'll tell you more deals on the other side of uh, the conversation, but uh, check it out for yourself, InStockTrades.com. Word Balloon is also brought to you by the League of Word Balloon listeners. Thank you very much, League, for your wonderful support. Uh, Thank you for helping me get to San Diego and back. And uh, your, your uh, donations were not ill-spent because lots of great networking. Some of the uh, connections that I was able to make, I'm stunned. And I really look forward to, uh, if these things come true, you'll, you'll be impressed with uh, a lot of the people that are coming back uh, and also for the first time to Word Balloon. Um, but anyway, uh, if you want to help the cause, there's a tab uh, for Patreon on my website at wordballoon.com And uh, you can find out all the information. If you can spare a dollar a month, that's terrific. Some people are giving more. Uh, Word Balloon's free. I keep saying that, and I mean it. It will always be free. But if you want to help, if you like what we do, you've got the money and you can afford it, go to wordballoon.com and you'll find all the information on how to subscribe to Word Balloon via Patreon. All right, without further ado, let us uh, bring our conversation with uh, Judd Winnick. it's a blast, and I'm really happy to have him back, and I think it's a lot of fun, and you'll enjoy the looseness. It's just like when Rucka or Benis and I or Fraction just get, uh, you know, chew the fat, hang out, and uh, Judd Winnick's one of those guys, and it's a pleasure to do it with him on this episode of Word Balloon. Let's just dive in. I'm, I don't even know where this conversation is
1: going to go. What do you think of that? Me is it totally either. Free, uh, free balling. Yeah. I've had no preparation <laughs> either. I've been looking forward to this for several hours. Like, oh, man! No, seriously, it's like, oh, John, and I can have a nice chat. Be cool. We'll catch you.
0: Likewise, man. Judd Jud Winnick, welcome back to Word Balloon. There you go. And, uh, I'm leaving all that in because he said nice things about me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, and they were, they were supposed to be, you know, off mic, so you know they're true. Now,
0: likewise, man, we saw each other at C2E2. And, you know, I'm just like, hey, I think you were sitting at Scotty Young's
1: table, I want to say. Yeah, I was just, well, I was just sitting with Scotty. I was walking past and there's like, hey, Scotty. He says, hey, come here. Wasn't even his table. I think he was grabbing. Yeah, it
0: was somebody else's table. Yeah, you guys should do it because it was a corner table or whatever. Scotty you Young is jump- so
1: popular. He needed to, to run away from his own table so he could draw. <laughs> I think it was Stegman's table. I think it was. Yes. There
0: you go, Ryan Stegman, very good. There you go. Yeah, so I'm like, hey, man, you know, you're always welcome. And I assumed, honestly, Judd like emails me a couple weeks ago. is like, hey, let's talk. And I'm like, oh, sure, what's up? He's like,
1: nothing, I just want to talk. So, yeah, so I actually wasn't full of shit. I actually meant it when I said, no, let's do it again, for real. (laughs) You know, it's the middle of the year. We can talk about what's happened. Have
0: you, I mean, you've got kids. How many kids do you have?
1: I have two. I have two. At what ages? My my son's 11 and my daughter's seven.
0: And. Okay, so do you take them to the comic book movies? Some of the comic book movies,
1: well, the movies. Yeah, my son, my son is eleven, and um, just a few years back, um, kind of caught the superhero bug, and uh, okay. so we went, we went and saw Civil War, which I think, I want to say no, he saw Guardians of the Galaxy in the theater too, I think. I okay, think. but no, I'm wrong. This was his first full on. We're seeing a big ass superhero movie in a movie theater. Um, that was his that was his first civil war which you know he'd seen he'd seen all the previous ones on on blu-ray
0: okay okay so that's cool and does he watch the cartoons
1: he watches a bunch of them yeah we're we're kind of all over the place because of <laughs> children aren't raised like us anymore we're you know every week you have to stop by and watch your episode it's like yeah let me watch like you know an entire season and then I'll walk away and come back and watch them again uh, <laughs> true so you know right now we're what are we on a heavy rotation uh, i think they're rewatching, they're watching avatar the airbender yet again okay um and uh he uh well his yeah his superhero. i, I have to be honest all right this is uh, this there's something interesting for your parents out there spoiler coming up for civil war huge spoiler so shut it off now okay you walk it away i'm ruining the ending of civil war the movie ready so my son loved the movie, loved it on the edge of his seat, loving it. When we get to the end and we find out that Bucky has killed uh, Tony Stark's parents, he couldn't shake it. He was just devastated. He was absolutely heartbroken and it took him, it took him days to get over it. Interesting. <laughs> no, he, wow. he actually, I, you know, we walked out of there. So what do you think? Cause I didn't like it. I said, He didn't like it. What happened? That's all he could talk about. And um, it was was kind of – it was both a lesson as a father and a little bit in storytelling. My son's got a big, big heart and he really loved Bucky as a character. And what he loved about Winter Soldier is that he was a bad guy who turned into a good guy and that meant a lot to him. And then to find out that he did something so unspeakably horrible – he could never shake it, and uh, it took it took a couple of days of just processing the whole thing for him to come around to admitting that. Yeah, well, okay, yeah, like he soaked it in. He's like, yeah, no, it was a great movie. I'm ready to see it again now. It took, took took a couple of days to, to settle in, and a couple of weeks before we can go back and see it again. That's
0: pretty awesome, though, man, because that's like a dramatic lightning bolt. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, and I'm glad he got through it okay, because you know I get it. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I I cried when they beat up Benji in the original movie. Yeah. I, you know, Bambi's Bambi's mom. So, like, sometimes drama is supposed to hurt a little bit.
1: It and it, you know, it is, it is a great way to experience these emotions because you actually don't have any skin in the game. You know what I mean? Right. That um, it's one of the things that I I. I mean, I, I talk to a lot of people about when we discuss: is this too serious for children? Is it too dramatic for children? And It's like, you know, oh,
0: really? You about about civil war?
1: Yeah, well, specifically Go about on. civil war, but yeah. in general, there's a lot of stories that come up. It's like, is it appropriate sure. for kids? Like, well, you know what? It's not particularly gory or violent, but yeah, it's pretty emotional. But emotional isn't bad. Uh, again, when they're once removed from the stories, it, it's a good place to sort of experience these emotions in kind of a safe way. Uh, you know, so when, when things actually happen to them, when, when they're having to deal with actual loss, it isn't completely alien to them. They have some form of frame of reference. I mean, I, I really do know that my children learned about death through Disney and Pixar movies long before they actually had to think about it in any kind of real way. Um, so these things are good. They really are. They really are.
0: Well, that's no, and I think it's interesting that you had that conversation about Civil War. People were asking me about Batman Superman. And I told them like a friend of mine has a ten or eleven year old. And I'm like, no. Yeah. I'm like, I would say no. Yeah. And I mean I'm I'm for I was totally for the pushing it PG thirteen and maybe it would have been an R if it was cut a different way. Right. Because that's fine. I you know, Deadpool's another example. But yeah, it's uh, – when it is PG-13, no, that's – you got you to kind of go through the list and make sure it's OK. And yeah, I, I get it.
1: Yeah, there's, there's something about – I mean the, we, we always talk about in my house and actually I talk about it when we talk about books and stuff, um, especially movies. Intensity. <laughs> that's the word we, that I actually have to tell my kids sometimes is like, can I see that? No, it's too intense. And they sort of get it. They, under, they actually can, can kind of grapple with that idea. And that's what I thought about Batman and Superman. It's just, is it particularly gory? I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of gunplay. Not my favorite thing. Um, right. It's uh, the violence is mostly fighting. Not really gory or anything. But it's just it's just way too intense. It's just you know for oh yeah for little guys. It you know it, and the you know and the entire you know the entire Batman run the Christopher Nolan Batman run which my son is dying to see. He just feels it. <laughs> you know? I can understand. He can just, <laughs> you just sense it like, Dad, I want to see that one. I got to like, that's going to be a while, buddy. Those are, yeah, look, I actually think, you know, you know, like, man, Heath Ledger is one of the greatest jokers ever, ever. It's amazing to watch. But, boy, that's, they're they're playing some hardball there, man. Uh, I hear you. Yeah. So it's- Definitely.
0: No, absolutely. Well, and honestly, back to Batman uh v Superman. Yeah. I, I thought the you know, I mean it's it's so funny, dude, because I don't know why, but I think this year I'm finally like, All right, after a couple weeks, I get it, because the entire audience tells me, If you don't see the movie the first week, then clearly you're not interested in seeing the movie. <laughs> and there is I mean, and I you know, really my audience, the podcast audience, this is the intense audience. Right. So I get it. Right. And it's so funny because other podcasts, I'll be like, "Jesus, man, the body's not even cold, and already you're like doing your review." I'm like, "Let people fucking see it." <laughs> yeah. And I and I'm still there's there's that subconscious that'll hold me from seeing it. All right, all that said, yeah, uh, Batman. All right, now and so I don't feel bad about spoiling at this point, given that it's on Blu-ray today, the extended cut. Yeah, the the way Superman gets impaled by Doomsday, yeah. that's really intense, man. That's and it's so ridiculous. Uh God, I'm sorry, and i, I got to hammer him a little bit. Okay, we get it. We all saw Excalibur. <laughs> Jesus Christ, man. And I love Exc- Excalibur truly is one of my favorite uh, movies. Excalibur, uh, went, as far as when I was movies. a kid,
1: it was on HBO okay. during the day on heavy rotation. So I must have seen it <laughs> 25 times. Um, That's kind of crazy they were showing it during the day. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm looking back. I assume it was rated R. I assume um, – you know, dude, I'm not sure, but I'm not sure. I
0: saw it in high school. Well, I saw it in high school in the theater. There, show that shows you my age. Yeah. Uh, but and I mean, yeah, I saw it in the theater. And it's like, oh, there's nudity. Yeah. Oh, and you know, Game of Thrones. Hey, here's some more incest for you. <laughs> you know, it's like Jesus. Not to mention again the impaling at the end, including a few entrails I think dropping out as he's getting like impaled. Oh, yeah. No, it's not like, oh man. Yeah. Yeah. That and I love. You ever see the outtakes? And or it's, they're not actually outtakes. They're in the movie. Where there's like one scene, in a – I think it's right after Arthur becomes pulls the sword out of the stone, and it's one of his first battles as king. Right. But you see a knight, and literally he's smoking. <laughs> and when it's time, when it's time for the battle, puts his cigarette down, grabs his sword, and starts running. I'm sure you can find YouTube's, <laughs> and it is awesome. It is so fantastic. So, I I, but I you know I love that I love
1: movie. That's it. that's one of the yeah, movies man. I sort of have to check off in my head, like. Yeah, that's going to be like a good six years before I can show that to my son. And I don't know if he'll like it. I don't know. Maybe he will. I don't know what kind of geek he's going to turn into. True. I mean, I mean yeah. okay, great, great example. Um, I finally uh, – uh, we, we were looking around for stuff. We saw we saw the first Superman, which is great. Christopher Reeve's Superman. It's a slam dunk. No problem. Then I dug out – I hadn't seen it in a while. Tim Burton's Batman. I hadn't seen it in a really long – Have you have you watched it like in the past – I don't know, 10 or 15 years.
0: Oh, yeah. No, yeah. In the last couple of years, yeah. I definitely
1: should go on. It, um, thing. Okay. So it doesn't exactly hold up. It doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't, ex- it doesn't exactly hold up, but you know who it's great for? It's great for an 11 year old boy. He loved it. It's like a comic book. It's like, it a, is.
0: That's a good call. It's
1: like an all ages comic book. It's not completely sanitized. It's not really, you know, squeaky clean. But it's pretty broad um it's uh it's not actually silly or anything but um it's 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 a simpler movie than what we're used to now um and it was great yeah, and he absolutely you know like us, i mean you know i was you know I was nineteen when I saw it, um and now he's eleven, but you know Jack Nicholson was the perfect joker for him, and apparently for me when I was nineteen he was great for sure um it's amazing how some things that because they're dated, and for lack of a better expression, we'll say for a simpler time, you know a simpler time where you know in the third act Superman's not getting impaled by a monster um <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know we're the most- cool. and that you know just not a not a sunny, not a sunny
0: sky at all in those Zack Snyder movies. that's why i'm I'm really interested in this Justice League. It's like, all right, I just want to see some daytime scenes and really bright. <laughs> Because I, I I wonder if he is capable of that. I mean, again, it made sense for Watchmen, and it made sense given the context of Batman v Superman. But I I watched it a second time, and I'm really like, okay, looking for honest to god sunshine scenes.
1: Well, I think not, there's, not there. there's there's so much great stuff in there. There's so much great stuff in there. What I thought was just just an easy layup, and I. I know nothing, by the way. I have no inside information. I don't know any of the inside track. And I haven't spoken to Jeff Johns about squat. So I don't know anything. Um, Okay. But my assumption is, um, you know, some humor wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. Um, And just like everybody else, I read that Suicide Squad's having some reshoots to put more more levity in there. No, levity is the wrong word. Jokes. Just jokes. Right. You know, that was... It's why Joss Whedon's avengers just knocked it out of the park it's not a comedy but they make jokes you know good ones too man i mean i still i quote it all the time one of my favorite bits from avengers is captain america's uh he's in the plane with black widow loki snatch i mean uh thor flies in there snatches up loki and flies away cap's about to jump out and go get them and she warns them "Is like these asgardians you got to be careful they're 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 not normal people. They're like gods that walk like men. And Captain America says he said, Man, there's only one God and I'm pretty sure he doesn't dress like that. <laughs> and then he jumps out of the plane. It's the greatest, man. Like, and it's it's straight up funny. Um and the the movie's loaded with stuff like that. I actually think that the direction that DC will probably go in is just that. It's not a silly movie. They won't They won't They won't it's not gonna be goofy, but there's a way of doing jokes which don't necessarily in i mean some of the some of the best dramas have a lot of humor and uh because it it just feels real i always come back to the west wing the west wing is a straight up drama but it's got tons of jokes oh yeah tons of them you know and that's what makes it one of the things that makes it great and i think the best superhero movies are along those lines
0: well you need icebreakers you need your attention breakers and stuff to to kind of you know m- yeah, balance just things out, and you're right. It is very natural, and I mean, it's it's a normal human response. So that stuff does need to be in there. I, you know, I I think uh, Legends of Tomorrow, even especially early on when you had Heat Wave and Captain Cold kind of you know wisecracking, yeah. throughout throughout the stuff. And it's like, no, it, the bad guys are having fun and playing good guy, right? And and they you know, and and that's just a great opportunity for humor. I mean, you know, I just had I had Ostrander on a couple of weeks ago, yeah. And uh, yeah, and he's you know he's very upbeat. He's very like I think it's gonna be great. He wasn't you know invited to the set or anything like that. No, no association whatsoever. Other than he's like you know I know they're using my stuff, so that's awesome, <laughs> right?
1: You know, right. And you know so. I I think well I think it was, it, a lot a lot of him will be in there. Well, that's what they're doing with the DC on television. It's pretty light, you know, not light again. Uh, jokes. They managed to, to make it funny. They get it that that these things. It actually makes it more realistic, I think, that sure. people kind of crack wise now and again. You know, just-
0: when they're in a tough situation. No, yeah. I agree. Now, I want to go back to your kid uh, getting his mind blown by, by Civil War. Yeah. Can you remember any sort of geek uh, experience? Uh, my, mine, uh, right over, that blew your mind as a, as a kid. Mine, and I, I got to tell Jerry Conway, Gwen Stacy. I mean, I read the Marvel Tales reprint. I wasn't old enough to read it when it was twelve cents or whatever, right. but but it was early seventies, and I was like nine or ten, reading the Marvel Tales reprint of it. It blew my mind. I'm like, wow, his that's like Lois Lane doesn't really die other than an, an imaginary story where you know it's plastered all over the place. This is an imaginary story, right? So you know, it didn't really upset me when those times that Lois would die in in Lois Lane imaginary stories. But yeah, Wednesday's like, no, she's dead. What the hell? I,
1: so what was yours? I, I, I started reading – I actually sort of like came became like a cognitive reader after after the death of Phoenix. So uh, after Jean Grey killed herself. Like that's actually Gosh. when I started more or less reading comics um, in, a, in a serious way because I was only like like 10 or 11 myself when that okay. came out. Um, one that stuck with me was – it was much, much later off the top of my head that I, I just remember it really being struck by it um was when uh in fantastic 4 when the invisible woman uh had a miscarriage sure it was a, it was a great issue because i'm going to catch to everybody up so this is uh this is john Byrne doing fantastic 4 the fantastic 4 were in the negative zone negative zone phantom zone negative zone. They're the, yeah, negative zone they negative in the they're in the negative zone and i think that's um I think that's where the baby was conceived or something. And when they came back – so Sue is pregnant and she's having these spasms where literally I think radiation is pouring out of her. Um, So something's wrong with the baby. Um, Like the baby has been infected with some radiation or something. Um, So Reed goes to find Dr. Octavius who is basically the – when you get down to it, even though he's Dr. Octopus and out of his freaking mind – He is the leading authority on Earth when it comes to radiation, according to Reed. And they need someone fast to come help them. So Reed actually, he's in a sanitarium. Reed is able to talk him through it. He takes him out of there. And on the way to, uh, like, and you know what, Dr. Octavius, he's on his game. He's on his game. He's not crazy. He's, He's doing all right. And on their way. Flying in like the uh, what? It, what is the the Fantastic card? Do I have it right? Yes, nice. Uh, the bathtub, the yeah, flying bathtub. I that love it. out that. of my butt and the recesses of my brain. <laughs> so they're flying to the hospital and they pass a, a billboard that has a has a, uh, a Daily Bugle app. Oh no! Yeah, <laughs> and there's a Spider-Man logo on it, and he snaps. So he snaps. He goes, he goes, bad shit. He's able to like mentally summon his, 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 uh, octopus armor, his arms from wherever the hell they're being held. And he and Reed fight it out for like 20 some odd pages. And, uh, so, you know, it's a comic, right? So we're like, we're in full, like crazy old comic stuff. But when we like, so it's not going to work out with Dr. Octavius. I got to lock him back up. Reed goes back to the hospital and then the doctor, you know, he, and Reed tells him like, how is Sue doing? And he's saying, it's like, ex- well, ex- I'm sorry, she went into labor. We, uh, um, you know, and uh, in, in Sue is fine. She's okay. And the last page, it's this tiny, tiny frame on a black page. And the doctor's telling Reed, but the baby died an hour ago. Oof. I know. Emma reading that and just being floored and worked up it's like, my goodness, you know, like it was really, really something. I hadn't seen anything like that in a comic. I just that's never cool had. And, yeah. um, again, for like, you know, 25 pages, we're doing full on superhero stuff. It's just, it's everything it's supposed sure. to be in a superhero comic. Sure. And John Byrne, you know, who, um, you know, was, uh, really, really pouring it on, you know, dropped the hammer and it was great. Um, and I think that led to coming up, um, like five or six issues later, the Invisible Girl renamed herself the Invisible Woman. That was sort of part of it. That like this, and uh, I don't even remember when this came out. You know, I could have been I could have been fifteen or sixteen. I have no idea. But um, you know, I thought it was cool. I remember being shook by it. I remember that like that was pretty interesting. That's cool. And how
0: old were you when you read that?
1: Man, I don't even know. Someone's got to look it up for me. I'd have to look it up when it was, and it, I could be so like late '80s. I'm thinking. Yeah, it could have been. You know. Someone could say, like, yeah, you're 18. Like, "Oh, okay, I I was an adult when that shook me up. All right.
0: No, but, you know, I was going to say it doesn't matter what age you are because here's another one. When I I heard uh, that – was it Legends of Tomorrow or Arrow? I think Arrow is going to have Adrian Chase, the vigilante, the 80s, the Titans vigilante. And, man, that last issue is like – and when you think about it because – you know, the 90s always gets – I mean, Grim and Gritty, I guess they always say, started in 85 and 86 with Dark Knight and Watchmen and that. True. But, but you know, for Marv to go there and have Adrian Chase kill himself. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. You know, and I wonder – I mean, because that's the thing as um, – I don't even know who the hell to talk to anymore at <laughs> DC about this because Bob Wayne retired. I was going to say, oh, i got to talk to Bob Wayne about right. this. Wrong. <laughs> But I, but you know, with with them bringing back uh, or bringing the character on TV, I would assume they're going to put Marv's run back in in print. You would assume, and yeah. you know, yeah. Do you go? Do you go to that really? Because I even think for a while, pa- Paul Kupperberg uh, took over writing Vigilante. I liked Vigilante I as a comic. It was, you know, oh, there you go. So yeah, yeah. And obviously, your response. Do you remember reading that as well? I do,
1: I do, I do remember reading that. I remember, yeah, that was. Um... Yeah, I'm trying to remember. Like, was that was that early '80s? I guess, or was it? It was mid '80s. It, it was. Yeah.
0: I, it was late '80s. I want like '87, maybe or '88. Yeah, I
1: think it was right when. I mean, we can sort of yeah, when, when things started to get, <laughs> gri- yeah, when we start to get uh, edgy, edgy as we like to call it.
0: Well, and again, back then it was a difference. Yeah. I mean, you know, now you roll your eyes at you know that kind of thing, and it it, it did become, blasé.
1: Well, yeah, you, I mean, of- I, you know, and I was honestly, I, I, I take, I take full responsibility as one of the guys who, you know, got things perfectly <laughs> gritty and edgy, um, you know, during the really 90s and, and, and the 2000s. Oh, yeah. Well, OK, here's the thing. So when I was a teenager, I was I was sort of fading away from comics. I was just, you know, I, was, I would kind of, oh, I can even I can mark the moment when when Marvel lost me for for a while. I was reading X-Men. And it was the end of a comic, some big cliffhanger, and to follow the rest of this of the Marvel Mutant Massacre, it had a grid, it had basically a, a flow chart that showed you the, the 14 comics you had to buy to follow the story. And I really remember thinking like, fuck this, I'm not gonna read all these. You know, so there was a bunch of books I had no interest in. It's like, I'm yeah. you know, and I was I was pretty pissed. And I think it was around the same time that Dark Knight Returns came out. And I picked that up not knowing any idea what it was going to be. And, and I remember flipping through the first couple of pages and they like, it is very dense. I don't know if I'm going to like this. I don't know if those of you who have not read Dark Knight Returns, shame on you. Those of you who have not read it in a while, you should look at it. There's like 14 panels a page. It's, oh, yeah. It's a dense read. It's amazing. It still holds up. Frank Miller was actually – he, he um, created 24-hour news before it became a thing. Fox News before it existed – <laughs> it's crazy. No, you read it. You go, sort of, yeah, sort this, of. This, you're right.
0: I mean, CNN did exist it, back then. But yeah, you, you're kind of right. <laughs> I'm not sure it did.
1: Oh, no, it did. <laughs> I am not 100% sure it did. This is 1985, it right?
0: It did. No, I was – i I'll tell you. And here's – man, again, it's all right. I'm showing my age in okay. this one. That's. Fine. I'm, I'm not ashamed. No, honestly, when I was 17, CNN was up and running – nationally and stuff. And I remember thinking I'm a junior in high school and god if I were 5 years older I would be in Atlanta tomorrow <laughs> trying to, trying to get a job at this place. So, yeah, cuz I mean it was so obviously the future. And and uh, in fairness, well they would have weird I don't even remember. They would have like uh really long 20-minute segments. They weren't full half-hour shows, but they would stop like their you know 24-hour news cycle coverage and literally uh Mike Douglas, the old daytime afternoon talk host was a go-to talk host on CNN in those pre-Larry King years. Wow. How you doing, everybody? Excellent. Social Security. Uh, can I uh, sign up for that? <laughs> can, I get my, can I get my early bird special coupons, wow. please? Wow.
1: Unbelievable. I had no idea. Because <laughs> I pretty so, much, th- but in my mind, <laughs> it was always that CNN was on for like a year before the Gulf War. The Gulf War is what made CNN. The first Gulf War. That's fair, sure, and, absolutely
0: uh, right. You know, but yeah, they were around for about uh, about eight or ten years before that. But go oh, on.
1: Okay, I had no idea.
0: That's awesome. I was being a little a
1: bit too attention. much credit. That's,
0: that's, but yeah, but <laughs> you know, honestly, man, no, that's the shifting uh, technologies. Think of the technologies that have always existed since your kids were born, and the stuff that we that we were you know amazed by the fax machine.
1: Yes, that was an, that was an incredible item that it could. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Um, I think. So, it was, but anyway, back to so Dark Knight. Go on. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Uh, and the grim and gritty, oh, you were going to go into no, you were going to go into an interesting confessional. Oh, about some and,
1: self-flagellation. Yeah, I'm good at that. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, yeah. I'd say the birth of like grim and gritty comics. You know, really, it. You know, it's Dark Knight and Watchmen. You can say Sandman that goes in hand in hand with that, but I wouldn't even say that because Sandman is. It, I think it's it's t- an entirely different thing. This like this is this was about taking superhero stories. And, you know, the articles we always made fun of, you know, you know, POW, ZAP, comics aren't for kids anymore. And they wrote those articles for 10 years until, you know, POW, ZAP, it came true. (laughs) You know, we really, we really did it. When I came into comics, it was really about, um, let's try and, let's try and make it, you know, as, as compelling as television and motion pictures. Let's try and make them a more adult oriented. Let's, let's have... You know, more adult stories, more adult themes. And I just, sure. it's, it, and, um, when I say adult, we're not, you know, we're not talking about anything particularly graphic. It's not about sex or whatnot. Although, you know, we did get very sexual with a lot of our, our stories. Um, and it, we really, if you'd asked me back then, you know, like, well, what about the 10 or 11 year olds? It's like, they should read something else is what I probably would have thought. Like my books are not for them. Um, and I did that for over a decade. I was definitely one of those guys who was very interested in making comics that were not for children. Um, and then, you know, it came around on me. I had children. And, you know, when my son wanted to read my own comics, he couldn't, you know, when he was seven years old. Um, yes. You know, it wasn't only it was wasn't until last year when he's about 10 years old. that I let him read, um, you know, Under the Hood. You know, he finally got to read Under the Red Hood. OK, cool. You
0: know, and, uh, you know, and he loved it. Because he was ready. That's awesome. <laughs> Fantastic. Did you show him the movie afterwards? Yes. Yeah.
1: What do you think of the movie? Oh, I love the movie.
0: You love the movie. That's cool. But no, but you know, and, and that's good. Like, I mean, hey man, let's read the old man's thing uh, first, then watch the know, movie. No,
1: no. I <laughs> he was going to read the source material first. So I wasn't going to play around. You know, well, hell, you
0: know. no. And it is. I mean, it, honestly, it <laughs> it is. It is a little deeper and stuff. And oh yeah, no, cool. no, no. There's just
1: there's just more to it. And yeah, I want to yeah. show him that, like, you know, here, read this, and you know. Um, he's a quick read, so you know, a day and a half Did later, he... he came back and like, Can we watch the movie now? Like, yes, we can.
0: Had he watched, like, um, or or had he read any other Jason Todd stuff before uh, reading Under the Hood?
1: No, but you know, he he, he, he lives in our house, so we talk about a lot of stuff. Like, he, know, he knew a... he knows the Robin lineage, yeah. the Robin lineage, if you will. No, the children know a lot about a lot of stuff, even before they get <laughs> in there, you know, I mean, which is what it is for a lot of kids, like my son. I don't know, at five years old, is walking around saying, Darth Vader's Luke's father. Like, you don't even know what you're talking about, and that's just wrong. Who told <laughs> you that? Like, well, you know, my friend Charlie at school is like, well, Charlie should shut up. It's like, man, you haven't even seen... Uh, talk about spoilers. So a lot of kids grow up with that. They just they know everything before they even get in there. So True. he'd asked about that. So, you know, <laughs> dad's bedtime stories sometimes involve, um, you know, telling him, Things like that, you know, (laughs) like, so let's, let's talk about the first Robin, my friend. Let's talk about that.
0: Uh, That's a great idea, man. That's fantastic.
1: Well, you know what? A lot of, a lot of superhero stories actually do hold up uh, just in the telling. They're, they were that good. You know, a lot of, a lot of early Batman, just origin stories work really well. Like I had to tell him the Spider-Man origin story. Just, just, we had to talk about like a bedtime story because it's, we forget it's when you're a little person, uncle Ben getting murdered is actually incredibly upsetting. So sure. talking about it before he actually reading it was a lot better. And, uh, then he read, uh, then he read ultimate Spider-Man and he loved it, you know, but was really shook, you know, uncle Ben getting shot and killed was he shook him up. Sure. particularly you know, you know, um, Bendison and, and, uh, and Bagley's run on it. Um, For those playing at home and who haven't read it, and shame on you if you haven't read Ultimate Spider-Man, I want to say it's a good six or seven issues before he puts the costume on. Oh, yeah. Uh, It's a long time. And so we actually get to know Uncle Ben uh, as a character. He doesn't get get shot in the first 10 pages or something. It takes... Oh, spoilers. By the way, Uncle Ben dies. By the way, spoilers. Uncle Ben dies.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Nice. You're killing me. The... You know, that's the point, though. I think um, it it is. I think that's wonderful to like have those talks with the kids before you show them Star Wars, or you know, again. I'm going to Bambi and stuff like that. And go, okay, this is going to happen. You know, you know, kind of steal up. But again, it's cool to have those dramatic moments really mean something. I'm going to open it up to listeners because they can't obviously chime in on our show. But I've got. I, I put speak pipe. At uh, wordballoon.com. Do you know about Speak Pipe?
1: No, do tell, and so the folks at home can hear
0: it as well. What is Speak pipe? All you have to do is it's, uh, I'm going to go to wordballoon.com and, and confirm exactly what it looks like. Okay. Uh, but basically, you use your uh, computer's uh, microphone to send direct voicemail, and uh, you can do that. And it says it right there, right in the top left hand corner of wordballoon.com. It says send voicemail, and if you click on that, you can open it up and if you want to even just give general feedback, that's fine. But I will ask you, was there – what do you remember? Your first geek story that blew your mind in some amazing dramatic way, whatever it was, the death of a character or a big reveal or something like – I mean just something that it was like more than, more than a holy shit moment, like a, a big dramatic moment where you know it just felt adult looking back. It's like, wow, that's like one of the first adult reactions I ever had to a story. So if you have something like that, do it with uh, Speakpipe. And uh, what were the other what were the other things that I, that I that I made you kind of uh, go back at? I mean, Grim and gritty doesn't really fit, but uh, anyway. Well, as they come up in the conversation, we'll we'll, we'll throw see. Throw them back I, in,
1: you know. absolutely, yeah, yeah. So
0: no, I'm uh, yeah, I'm always interested in hearing that. So, I mean, yeah. Do you remember Vigilante and the uh, you know the death of Vigilante? I heard uh, Kevin Smith and uh, Mark Bernardin talking about that on Fat Man on Batman. Yeah, and yeah, like as soon as they mention the character, it's like. God, remember what happened to Adrian Chase? Holy shit. Yeah. That's like, you know, yeah, man. No, that was an interesting character. It makes me think I should try and uh, track Marv down and see if he'll come back on and talk specifically about Vigilante. Because that was weird. I mean, that was just, I mean, and also the feeling that he had to not only tell the story, but then have the the page long postscript of, hey, this is why I did it. That's you right. Know, or at least part I of forgot. it. It was part of, it was part of the letter column. It's like, listen, before we get the letters, I know everyone's like, what the hell did you just do?
1: I forgot about that forgot um, about that. Yeah. That was uh, and it sort of it acknowledges that they did not take this lightly. They understood what they were doing. Right. That this is not something we ordinarily do. It is not something we you would ordinarily see. And let's take let's put a pin in it. Take a breath and I want to talk about it just a little bit before we move on. I forgot about the letters column. Wow. Oh, yeah. Man. Yeah. I'm
0: dying. Do you uh do you have uh did you did you watch or I should say did you have a reaction to the uh Captain America Hail Hydra? Moment. um I had. <laughs> What'd you think of that whole? My proposal? reaction
1: was more to the reaction, which was everything from um, a buddy of mine gave a heads up, like it's like, "Hey, Brubaker's getting shit for a comic he hasn't written in six years." Like what? Oh, that's. <laughs> <laughs> like, I know. That was, Nick. That was our, what the hell, yeah no, That was the, the opening uh, salvo, and I said, "Okay, I'm sure it's not that bad." And it's like, "No, seriously, go look at his Twitter feed. It's ridiculous." And sure enough, looked on there. It's like, oh my god! I had to tell people, like, yeah, I'm not actually writing this comic right now. Um, I haven't for a while, Uh, four years. Yeah, no, it's bizarre. (laughs) It's bizarre. And um, I chose not to chime in at all, which was like, you know, all you get a hold of yourselves. It's like I. I, It almost feels like, are these non-comic readers or non-regular comic readers, or you know, I think so. It has to be folks who just. Who didn't know, like,
0: you know, this we'll is only know the character through the movie, let's say.
1: Yeah, I guess so. It's like Go ahead, what were you gonna say? Yeah. No, just that. It's like, guys, it's this is just it's a story in a comic book. It is like, well, it changes everything. Like, not really. I mean, yes, it does, but not really. <laughs> like, well, it changes everything for, you know, maybe the next six months, maybe the next twelve yeah, months. Yeah, you know, about that. And, you know, and even then it's it's sort of the uh the hardcore fans, they get upset when you mess with canon. When you got to explain, like, listen, that thing goes back 50 years. Whatever it's, whatever you screwed up. Like, that's really out of character for Green Arrow. Like, is it? I don't know. I'm just sort of shifting a little bit with Green Arrow here, and I'm taking him in a slightly different direction. But he's always been kind of a bon vivant or, you know, whatever. You know, I I get that they want them to stay in Amber. They want them to stay good guys. They want them. That's the hardcore fans. But I think even a hardcore fan would look at, you know, that, okay, it turns out that Cap... Was a sleeper agent. By the way, sleeper agent. Wasn't a bad guy. Wasn't a Nazi. Just, you know, we don't even know what he did exactly. Um, but it was just like, you know, one line at the end of a comic. Suddenly, you know, I mean, the in- chaos. Yeah. Just sanity. Guys, it's like, oh, oh. calm down.
0: Like heart wrenching articles of how you know you've destroyed my you know faith in men, <laughs> yeah, you know, and yeah. it's like
1: really It's like Jesus man. It's like no, it's just I I gotta tell you guys it it's unfortunately it's much smaller than that. It's just something to do. It's chapter one, <laughs> yeah. Frankly, you know, like you gotta write a <laughs> lot of comics, you know. It's like you gotta and you gotta think like what can we do that hasn't been done before? Oh, well, hey, wh- what if Cap's actually been a sleeper agent all along? Like oh. That's pretty cool. Yeah, let's mess with that. I right? mean, the whole universe can get rebooted again in 4 years anyway. I mean, that's what we're doing now, the the collective we. But you just want to how to t- how to tell the uninitiated, when you're writing a superhero, you've got only a small amount of real estate you can mess with. You know, they're not going to die, they're not going to grow old. They can only they can only evolve so much. So, you can't really take them from A to Z. You pretty much got about a to d you can only make them maneuver so much so that's that's the trick that's the skill within this small bit of real estate how to tell an interesting story one that it feels like in some cases one that feels new and if you can do that without reinventing the wheel great if you got to reinvent that wheel a little bit well you know those things happen but you know let let it play out a little bit
0: well and i mean it's – I'm talking to the guy of course who you know made Exiles yeah. and uh, I mean the, there was – you guys got to – people like yourself going back to the Silver Age, all the uh, Superman and Batman writers. Although I don't remember a lot of Batman imaginary stories. That was pretty much a, a Superman conceit under I think Morgan Weisinger. Yeah. But I mean that's the thing and the same goes for Exiles. You have the uh, – not luxury. I don't even know what you call it or I guess advantage of Well, it's an alternate Earth, so you can do whatever the hell you want.
1: Yeah, that's what made it one. I mean, it is it is the only title that I wasn't done with. That um, when I I don't know how many issues I was in. Maybe I was into my third year, and it's when I was writing for both Marvel and DC, and DC offered me an exclusive. And I actually asked, like, "Can I get a pass so I can keep writing Exiles?" It's like, no. (laughs) It's like it was a very polite, like, "No, if you're gonna if you're gonna write for us, you're gonna." You're gonna write for us, and you got to give up that that title. It's like, oh, all right, but what was a blast about that. that is exactly what you said. It was like a, it was like what if it was like the what if comic, except I got to do it as a as a week as a monthly
0: with a yes. team,
1: and I got to mess with things like a lot of great stuff. Um, you know, yeah, I want to write another Wolverine story, and like, man, let's go right into the death of Phoenix. Let's screw around with the death of Phoenix for for real. And for me, as as a, like a grown up kid, I always. I I I was really attracted to the character Mimic, um, who I who I read about only in like like the Marvel Universe encyclopedia. Like I barely even saw the issues because they were like back issues from I think the fifties. Um maybe.
0: Wow, it goes back to I, I, I had no idea. I honestly thought Mimic came from X Files, but go ahead. No,
1: he uh he was originally a character, I want to say, during some of the very early runs. I think Neil Adams might have done him a little bit here and there, maybe. Um, he's a pretty short-lived character, but I remember just seeing a picture of him. And he was built like Beast. He had wings. You know, he's wearing Cyclops visors. Was like, what the hell is this guy? And I think I had bordering on fetish. I love the idea of characters that had, like, other people's powers. Um you know, you have to go like to the the Adaptoid or the Super Adaptoid from Marvel.
0: Yes, loved loved the Super. Adaptoid. Oh, that was That's so cool. much
1: fun! I there was a great issue. I'm trying to remember. Did George Perez draw this one? Uh, he might have. Where like the Super Adaptoid is fighting like all of all of the Avengers, and by the end of the comic, he's like 12 feet tall, and he's he's got like and as he, okay, for all the nerds playing at home. This character as he would adapt other people's powers, he would also take on some of their appearance. Yep. So he's got like, I don't know, he's got like like Thor's cape and he's got Iron Man's helmet and like Vision's emeralds in the middle of his head and it's and, and it's just more and more and more. I think the whole thing ended when he finally adapted Captain Marvel's uh Negabands. And that was like that was actually what Marvel was waiting for. Like, no, you can't copy those. That's a bad idea. <laughs> and that was that was the big dramatic ending is it grabbed him by the wrist and he slammed his bands together and he vanished um but anyway part of my fetish about heroes taking on other powers that's what attracted me to mimic so it was one of the things like i want to do this character from like the old x-men um and uh you know brought him into the exiles and uh and people dug him as much as i did when i was a kid it was just something fun about him or something kind of interesting. And, I, sure. and updated him. Like, he's got Wolverine's claws. Like, how fun is that? Let's really screw around. Let's have some fun. He, uh, X Men 19,
0: uh, Stanley and Werner Ruff.
1: There we go. That's that's when he first appeared. Yep. Old. Old. Yeah, back in the day. 66. Yeah, there you go.
0: Man, I was two. <laughs> I was going to say, when you were talking about uh, watching uh, cartoons and how the kids now binge watch, and obviously. You know you've got a couple of cartoon channels that serve cartoons twenty four hours a day and stuff yes, uh, I was thinking Saturday morning cartoons yeah. literally started in nineteen sixty uh five or six
1: wow really
0: because because that filmation Superman show was like one of the first things made well i you know that was one of the first made for saturday morning t v because otherwise they were showing.
1: Uh, Looney Tunes. All the old, yeah.
0: Right. Looney Tunes Woody and even Woodpecker. the Hanna Barbera yep. stuff that originally was created for syndication and Woody Woodpecker and Tom and Jerry and all that and Popeye and all that stuff. Yeah. But yeah, that you know, the sixty-six Superman show was part of that first push of Saturday morning
1: cartoons. I did not know it started with Superman. That's amazing.
0: Yeah, man. Oh, it's you know, and it's they're on that film. There's a great behind the scenes uh documentary about that on the Superman box set of the Filmation cartoons, but it's on YouTube as well. Awesome. And they're they're yeah, really interesting, man, cuz a lot of times I would especially, you know, Filmation was definitely the lesser from an animation standpoint of all the different companies. And yet, they made really smart Star Trek cartoons that I would say, you know, are re- really really would have been just as good as Film TV shows for the most part, little simple but when it comes to the actual sci-fi like stories, I don't know if you ever watched them.
1: I did. I actually watched the uh, because it can It came up just that that there's a number of um, really I, I I had to stop myself. Like, I would say well written. It's like not well written, but <laughs> but way better than they had to be. Um, yes, there's a number of uh, Saturday morning uh, cartoons which you know had like a little bit of a dramatic flair. Like, and Star Trek was one of them. Like it, it really held up. Like this was pretty good, and and you know the animation is really subpar. They're using the same shots over and over and over again because yes. they had ten cents to make the whole thing. Yeah. Um, so it is you know really not great animation, but I think they realized like well we need to write around it, um, and they did. They did a really nice job with a lot of it, and it was it was hard because the stuff was so cheap, and God Saturday morning cartoons. It it's, we we. I lived for when September was rolling around and the new shows were coming out. And yes.
0: Remember on Fridays? Oh yeah. They'd have the preview show the preview and the Brady show. Bunch would introduce, they would introduce the ABC Saturday morning lineup. Yeah. And it was like,
1: okay, bring it on. <laughs> and it what drove me crazy is that they were on, they had Saturday morning cartoons on all three networks. Yes. And this is pre VCRs. We just, what do you do? You had to pick, you choose you had to pick your battles. You really had to choose. Yeah, man. It wasn't enough. I remember being exhausted just, you know, and watching all of them like, you know, in in hindsight. It was like a
0: five-hour – it was a five-hour block. We were binge-watching. It's just our binge-watching literally had to happen from like 7 in the morning, at least from a Midwest standpoint, 7 in the morning till noon. Yeah.
1: No, no, same. Because you'd
0: cut, you'd, you'd cut away after Kuklafan and Ollie were doing, like, the foreign film from Belgium or whatever. Yeah. I remember, I remember CBS had, like, the Children's Film Festival. And it was like, and today, an excellent film from shot And it's like, yeah. I'm like, all right, listen, I'm 11, okay. and I'm going outside. I'm going outside. I've I've outside. Had it.
1: That's it. I've had it. Yeah. For me, it was it was back east. I grew up in New York. And by the time we got to Via Allegra, uh <laughs> it was like, yeah, I'm sitting there. I'm tapped out. That's it. All right, I got it. Now I gotta go.
0: That's awesome. That's fantastic! Oh my god! I no, you know it's there. Another one I was going to say like that. Planet of the Apes. Yes, Planet of the Apes is a really complicated cartoon.
1: Yeah, those are the two. <laughs> those are the two that I had to go watch. It was Star Trek and the Planet of the Apes cartoons, which I was talking to someone about, and I I swore I told them like you're wrong. You're thinking about it as a child. They're garbage. And I watched it and go, no, these are actually again much better than they had to be they're, yeah they actually no
0: they were writing a real story no they
1: were writing a real story beginning middle and end and not did they just because forgive me for anyone who ever worked on any of these back then i acknowledge no one got paid anything and you had to make them quickly and a lot most of them are not very good at all <laughs> they're they're fun <laughs> but they're pretty stupid and you know and and sometimes they would just you know, they created a smorgasbord of mess. Like, the, the, do all you old folks out there, do we all remember the Laugh Olympics? Which Oh, I loved Laugh oh, Olympics. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> it was. All right. Oh, it was the, the, the Yoki Yahooies. It was great and terrible and awful. And, really rotten. Yes. For those <laughs> playing at home, this was, what was it on ABC? They, yes. So they took
0: nice. Go on. is it all the Hanna
1: Barbera cartoons? Yes. yes. So they were broken up into three separate teams, and they competed in sporting events. I'm saying it out loud. It seems, it seems dumber <laughs> by the second. They were basically broken up in like one set of good guys, another set of good guys, and a team of villains. Yes. yes. Um, the Rottens. Yes. The the la- and the Laugh Olympics. They would compete against each other, and uh, there'd be a winner. You know, at the end of every episode. I do remember they let, they let the bad guys win one time, and yes, uh, yeah, one time, and they didn't take it back before the credits. So I knew it was really over with. I remember shutting off the TV in disgust. They let the bad guys win. How dare they? How dare they? Oh, who's the
0: commissioner of Laugh Olympics,
1: please? Oh um, no, no, I. We need a hearing, man. I have no memory of. Uh, I, I know Scooby was in charge of one team.
0: Right, Scooby Doobies, the Yogi Scooby the 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 Yogi Yahoois. wow, and the real okay. See, yeah, I remember absolutely awesome. <laughs> well, you got to know that this was of the time, and people, I'm sure younger people are aware of Battle of the Network Stars right. because they've either seen it on YouTube or on ESPN Classic and stuff, and that's that's what it was. It was a cartoon version of that. And it was, of course, it was crap, but yeah. it, at least at least, it had a creative idea behind it. Yeah, So unlike I, Apple I, you know. Network
1: Stars, which really, really was crap. Um, <laughs> and we watched that religiously, my family. Oh, dude,
0: my favorite one, and I do point people to it every few months or whatever, when uh, they were doing the relay race and NBC protested that ABC got the baton early. <laughs> And it was Robert Conrad was the James West, Wild Wild West, yeah. and Pat Boynton from Bob Bob Blacksheep. Right. He protests to Howard Cosell, who's the anchor. Yep. And then they have a commissioner to come out, and they decide, well, all right, why don't we have a team captain runoff? And it's going to be ABC versus CBS. And Gabe Kaplan. It was. Back, I
1: was Con- going to say, was it, was it Gabe Kaplan? Was Gabe Kaplan dumb enough to, to get into, like, a foot race <laughs> with Conrad? Was he? And, and he won.
0: And he won. he won. And it's awesome because Gabe Kaplan has that giant white guy afro and it's like a comet tail when they're running. <laughs> it, it is – honestly, it is the most – because Robert Conrad, ridiculously competitive, a very tough guy uh, both on and off screen and a guy who really – I mean he was in his late 40s or whatever but really kept in really good shape. I mean was like <laughs> one of those like old Marines that never like you know breaks training or whatever. Right. And and Gabe Kaplan, all right, I'll do it, yeah, sure. I mean, literally looks like the sweat hogs in like droopy running shorts and t shirt. Yeah, all right, I'll do it. And and it's the funniest thing in the world. And the best thing is Telly Savalas, Kojak, is the CBS uh captain. He complains, he's like, oh, if there's a problem with the race, we all should be involved. And he's complaining to Kosell while chain smoking. <laughs> He's talking about running a race and he's smoking a cigarette while he's doing it. Oh, so it's it is so – I mean that's comedy on like 25 levels. My, so.
1: I, I, need, I need to get this and my entire family has to watch it again because a, a familial quote – God, I can't remember what event they were doing. It could have been a tug of war that went on forever and they, couldn't, they, they could not – they could not win. It would not end. And Cosell at one point says, this is what sport is all about. And my That's awesome. My family, I think we we, we would repeat that regularly, <laughs> because fully acknowledging like what what a wonderful level of bullshit this is is that Coello has fully given himself over to it.
0: <laughs> He's committed. Oh. Man. It, oh my god, good entertainment on so many levels. William Shatner, tell us about Barbary Coast. <laughs> Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very excited about the show. It's it's not Star Trek, but it's very interesting. And <laughs> I mean, just like promoting the crappiest shows they were doing at the time. Absolutely, man. Oh no, every and Ron Howard and Penny Marshall and like every Cheryl Ladd and Linda Carter at their prime. Yeah, I mean, just like Adrian, Adrian, Bob Yeah. <laughs> And just you're right. I mean, Cosell is calling it like it's a Super Bowl or an Ali fight. Yes. I, I love yes. that. Yes. Ah, too much. So, are you a boxing fan? I've never asked you.
1: Um, I would say I I used to be back in the day. I think I finally, I think I probably tapped out in college. Um,
0: probably- okay, because I can appreciate as I get older, the violence kind of uh, you know makes me question it. I hate. I will admit, I still watch it.
1: Well, they kind. I kind of. I lost interest when we didn't have a heavyweight champ. Uh when was oh, when, when it wasn't sure. unified. After Tyson lost um I, it it's kind of uh I just it just kind of lost me there. It w- it was it didn't have that unifying factor of uh, sure. having an undisputed heavyweight champion of the world. Uh I grew up uh I grew up in the era of Muhammad Ali. Uh I grew up in a sports household. My dad I was just talking to because Ali just passed. My yep. dad and his best friends would go to the uh, simulcasts, which were in movie theaters. So yep. let me back up. When we, They used to have big-ass professional fights. They would not have them on television, young people. They would not be on TV because um, no, no one could afford <laughs> to actually buy the rights. And I don't even know if they had the technology to make it work. But what they would do, they, you could go and buy a theater ticket. You'd go to a movie theater, and they have it simulcast, and you'd watch the fight at the RKO in Comac. Uh, sure, you know, a couple of hundred, hundred, guys, uh, watching the fight, watching the thriller of Manila. Um, you know, um, and, uh, so my, my dad was a huge Ali fan, uh, as you know, most of the planet was. Um, so yeah, no, we grew up, I was, I was a boxing fan as a kid and, uh, yeah, I'd say probably all through college, but again, when we lost to heavyweight champ. It was something, something didn't feel right. You know,
0: I respect that. No, I, I get it. You see, and I, you know, started covering it uh, in the very late '80s and, and covered it from 1989 to 2006. Wow. Yeah, between magazines and radio. Wow. So so, and also, yeah, once I really got, uh, it, well, I covered a couple big fights for print, I, uh, for uh, Boxing Illustrated, Bert Sugar's magazine, and uh, but then when I when I hooked up with the uh, Chicago talk station. Uh, I became the boxing reporter, and I got sent to New York and Vegas and all over the country, and it was terrific. And I saw some really impressive uh, fights. I mean, I you know not not the not the absolute all time biggest ones, but I did cover a Sugar Ray Leonard fight. I covered uh, two Tyson fights and uh, uh, several Julio Cesar Chavez and a couple Roy Joneses. Oh and, no, these are they, you know. De La Hoya and Felix Trinidad and, you know, I mean, yeah. You know, I mean, so, yeah, like the there's, 90s there's and early are 2000s. These
1: fights. These are good stuff. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, you know, I mean, it was it was really fun. And, and certainly, yeah, I grew up as well with Ali and uh, remember those closed circuit uh, fights and, you know, going to Chicago theaters to be able to see them and stuff. No, it was it was incredible. And also Ali lived in Chicago for a good portion of his life right. as well. So really, when he when he passed away, beyond my own you know personal feelings, and I even talked about it a couple episodes ago. I got to meet him 25 years ago in the in the very early 90s. So he was he had the Parkinson's syndrome. It wasn't as bad as it got, right. and I actually got to talk to him for five minutes and do an interview with him, and he was great. That's and, you amazing. know you, you know so yeah, man. I mean no, it's you know meeting history. It is so yeah. You know kind of yeah. It, it bummed me out, and and again through the years and stuff, I got to I I got to meet. All the heavyweight contenders from the 70s and champions except for Frazier. Okay. I met, I met Foreman. I met Norton. I met Larry Holmes. Uh, Foreman Foreman was great. I got to talk to him a lot uh, in those 16 years of covering boxing and stuff. He's one of the so, most interesting
1: characters ever to come out of – I mean characters come out of boxing. You know, Ali is Ali's a living legend and you know what he, what he did will never be matched. But the life of George Foreman can, can barely be summed up. If you, if you were to tell somebody who didn't know anything – the life of George Foreman, you know, and it's somewhere sneaking that he is, that he has seven sons are all named George, you know, just (laughs) there's so many things you like, seriously. (laughs) Oh yeah. It's like, yeah. And then he became the heavyweight champ again. And he was 110 years old.
0: Really? Yeah, (laughs) exactly. 47 years old. And he wins back the title and everything unprecedented. And even before, like you said, I mean, he'll, he'll say he grew up as a gang kid and was a product of, uh, Lyndon Johnson's, uh, free society in that uh he got uh signed up for the Job Corps. Right. And he went from and he went from the ghettos of Houston to I forget what uh forests in another state he went to and literally did like forestry and learned it and it was like he's like it changed my whole attitude about life and I got serious and I dr- got out of the gangs and cleaned up and you know got into boxing and the rest, you know, I mean my god from the 68 Olympics and and a very pro-American uh stance at the 68 Olympics in contrast to Tommy Smith and uh, John uh, Carlos giving the Black Power salute yeah. and all that. Yeah. You know, I mean it, and then to be the second coming of Sonny Liston and the bully of the seventies right. and just such a badass. Yeah. To you know finding God, dropping out for ten years, ten years. Yeah. I mean, I'll, don't get me wrong, Ali, Ali's you know leaving because of uh, his uh, religious stance against Vietnam and stuff was. Very huge, but yeah, George lost ten years of his prime. Right. I mean, you know, and it, you know, at his best, came back a different man, and when wins the heavyweight, t- ultimately wins the heavyweight title again. Yeah, crazy. Yeah, yeah, crazy. Yeah. and then you know, that's only chapter two, and then chapter three. Yeah, I'm going to uh, get involved with this uh, lean, uh, lean grill. Yeah, <laughs> whatever, whatever the hell it's called is.
1: Like, yeah, it's like the, the George Foreman grill. And it's like, yeah, so like, well, yeah, that becomes like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, he put his name on a grill, did some infomercials, and he made a hundred million dollars. It's, like, <laughs> it's like, come on now. It's like, yeah, yeah, no, it's true. <laughs> That's what happened.
0: Made, made more money that doing that than he did in his boxing. He was the career. meanest
1: man in boxing. He was despised. He, Ali made him into a villain, and by the way, he practically was. He was, he was, sure, you know. And then he came back, and he was—he's a kind, gentle man who was a, still a boxer and going to beat the hell out of people in the ring and formidable and old. And uh, then made $100 million selling a grill. It was just, it's amazing. It's amazing.
0: It really is. No, he's, and he's a really fun guy to talk to. Absolutely. And you know, it's, I gotta say, I don't know why, but on television with HBO, he always kind of plays a little simpler and it kind of gets me angry because I would have very intense, like boxing conversations with him about specific fighters. And he was very analytical and like kind of a machine about, well, you know, he fights this, Eric Morales is great because he fights this way. And I'm like, you know, I like this George Foreman. I'm like, how come we don't get him on TV? And he's like, no, nah, no, nah, they got enough experts. They need a clown. I'm the clown on that show. <laughs> and I'm like, OK, man. You know, I'm like, whatever. But yeah, it was really cool to like see this other side of him because he was, he was just, he's just he's a very, very smart guy.
1: That's interesting. It's it's he's very that's very, very self-aware and self-deprecating at the same time. Yeah,
0: because uh, like because did you see the fight game on HBO? Uh, the, the Raleigh Tribune? Yes. Yes. You know, I because it, like, I don't know if it, 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 maybe, again, maybe with the satellite, too, or also, you know, George is getting a little bit older in that. But it just seemed like he didn't understand the questions, a couple of the questions that Lampley asked him, and he just went off on Ali, t- like, I loved Ali tangents. They were all really interesting. Yeah. But they didn't quite, you know, and they, and they went into places that I didn't know. I, it's the whole thing about, George, you need to come back and fight Ken Norton. <laughs> I'm like, that's true because George Foreman whacked Ken Norton out in two rounds. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and and Ali gave, you know, Norton gave Ali fits. He won two out of three. But all three of those fights were much more difficult than even the Frazier fights. The Frazier fights get legitimate, you know, legitimate uh, importance and stuff for what they were. But the Norton fights were really hard fights. And and especially the last fight, it could have gone to Norton.
1: Yeah, it was brutal. (laughs) They're amazing. Amazing.
0: You know, I'm a I, I. Well, there you go. Now you know I'm a fight
1: fan,
0: so there, <laughs> so That. Oh man! Um, Anyone playing at so, home, they
1: should see the documentary uh, when we were, when we were kings. Have it right. Yes,
0: we yes. Excellent documentary. Uh, there's another one too called Champions Forever. That's a videotape documentary. That's very good. But yeah, when we were kings is amazing. Oh,
1: it's, it's incredible. And everybody involved is still alive and can talk about it. So it's just, <laughs> you know, uh, Norma Mailer, George Plimpton talking about being there at the fight. Um, it's just stunning. It's just really, um,
0: yeah, it was, you know, about 20 years afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. You know, maybe 25. Cause it might've been late nineties. I think. Yes. Uh, and then the fight was 74. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. And now God, I mean, you think about it. Plinton's gone. Mailer's gone. Yeah. Angela Dundee is gone.
1: You know, uh, George Foreman is still standing. Thank God. George Foreman is still standing.
0: <laughs> very true. Very true. I found out too, the, the referee of, uh, the rumble in the jungle, was a um, former Harlem Globetrotter and former oh god I forget the Wrens and I forget what city the Wrens came from but they were uh, a contemporary of the Globetrotters as a barnstorming uh, all black basketball team at the same time back in the thirties. Really? Yep. <laughs> Zach
1: Clayton. That's amazing.
0: Well, I was wondering because it's the only big fight that I was ever aware of him doing. He was a Philadelphia referee, so he had experience and stuff. But, I, you know, it's just a lot of guys uh, you can go back and, you know, like, God, Arthur Mercanti Sr. was like he did the first Ali Frazier fight, was like a staple at Madison Square Garden for years. Uh, there was the uh, Filipino referee, and his name escapes you right now, but the guy who did the thriller in Manila worked for years afterwards in Vegas, really through the 90s and stuff. Really? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I mean, that's well, you know, like they're like kind of like umpires. Well, again, this is boxing. Yeah. And it's you know, and, and again, again, referees are really important. Richard Steele was a very big referee in the '90s and early 2000s, and you know was con- considered quite a referee. And Mills Lane, Showtime's been showing off uh, their 30 years of boxing coverage, and I was watching a couple fights. And Mills Lane, little former Marine and stuff, excellent referee in the. 90s and early 2000s ended up in the reality TV show business had a judge show <laughs> like uh like Judy and the rest and unfortunately like suffered a big stroke and never recovered uh, from it it was it was really sad but the guy was a he was a great referee and a and a really good referee really makes a difference in a big huge championship huge
1: difference considering the level of shenanigans that that can occur right <laughs> that you know how honest a man has to be in the ring there to make sure that doesn't happen. Uh, uh, right. You know, got to keep it all in the up and up. Got to look after your guys and, uh, and you know, and still have a nice, you know, have a good, clean fight, as they say.
0: Okay. Well, yeah, and and, and walk that tightrope of safety, but also you don't want to stop it too soon because everybody paid a lot of money to watch the fight. Right,
1: right, you know.
0: And, you know, it is entertainment. And it's, again, it's, I mean, he's literally juggling guys' lives in his hands and in his, in his eyes as he's, As he's watching the fight and everything, so no, great referees are 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 very hard to come by, and it's like, you know, yeah, it makes a difference. It really does. Got or even stupid things like remember the fan man back in the (laughs) nineties that parachuted into the ring. Yeah, I mean that kind of. I mean, you never know what's going to happen at a fight. It's ridiculous. It's part of the fun for me. It was that was the fun of covering it. The weirdness of everybody from the promoters to the fighters. You know, you just didn't see that level of of weird. Characters both crooked and just weird in, in any other sport, and it was half the fun of covering it. it was
1: just these and weird Fox people. And boxing was that are- more um, it was more mainstream. Well, hey, the segue back to comics makes it easy. Um, you know, there was a there was the the you know, Muhammad Ali versus Superman comic. You know, which yes. you know, thankfully, um, I don't know how many years ago when they finally collected it in a in a hardcover for all of us. Um, I was I was so grateful. It's like, oh my god. It's it's a Super vs. Ali comic. Here it is. Here it is again. It's back because I, I, I had not seen it in years, and back, sure. back. But that's how mainstream boxing was. Yes, <laughs> you know, and and how how big and important Ali was, um, and uh, and how beautifully Neil Adams could draw. He could actually draw. You know, oh, it's like that looks like Muhammad Ali.
0: <laughs> yeah. No. It, oh my God. Yeah. And it, uh, no, it was really fun to not, learn. I mean, and I interviewed him about it back in two thousand five. Yeah. And he's like, you know, honestly, it's like one of my f- absolute favorite works I ever did. Good. And it's like I don't blame you because it was amazing. And he goes, no, to really get Ali and and the challenge of really like capturing him and stuff. And he did. Oh my god! I mean, it's it's just it looks so much like him. And the the writing, I think Danny O'Neill did a great job on the script and everything. I mean, yeah. it's a it's an excellent. It book. It is an
1: excellent book. Not an. I mean, there's so much said about it, so, but you can never say enough. I I was I hold it up because I'm very, very impressed with, let's call out a bunch of the comic book adaptations that come from movies. They're, I'm going to throw a rough number out here. 98% of them are total garbage. Every every comic adaptation of a movie, most of them are complete garbage. They they aren't particularly well-written. They're trying to crunch the movie in. That's for starters. But the art's really, really bad, because they've got a lot of bad photo reference going on. Like You can tell, like, doesn't look like the character. Doesn't look like the character. Oh, looks exactly like the actor. They're going off a photo reference in there. What <laughs> Neil Adams did with Muhammad Ali is that he's not going off photo reference. He's actually drawing him. He's that talented that he can actually look at enough reference and actually made the man into a character and looks like Muhammad Ali throughout the entire comic at all times because he's that good. And being able to be a you know a, someone who can do great anatomy, do great action scenes, do terrific acting – and do something that borders on likeness it's 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 a very rare skill few few people can do it He's unbelievable is um
0: yeah i completely agree no and you know i feel that way about alex ross too alex ross is yeah
1: alex yeah alex ross sort of broke the machine when he started when he started doing comics he just changed it all up um i mean everyone the the those of us who remember when marvels came out which predated Kingdom Come, um, which was like, holy shit, this is unbelievable. This looks real. (laughs) Look at this. It's like superheroes look real. Look what he's doing. They look real. Look, Iceman looks like he's made of snow. Can you fucking believe this? Look at this thing. God almighty.
0: I remember the first issue, there was like a big scene where all the Golden Age Marvel characters were going to like just do like some giant massive team uh, drop into a city block or something like that. And they're all like perched on... uh, on roof t- – on like ledges of buildings and stuff. Right. And everyone's just got their costumes on and it looks so fucking real. Yeah.
1: It was, I just had a heart attack. I really, it was before <laughs> – you know, it was before the superhero movies exploded. It was before – Yes. It was before Alex Ross exploded. It was the first time anyone had come close to anything making looking – making superheroes look real. And Oh, got you. Oh, no, it was great. Still is great. I, I think I read Marvel's again just like a year ago. It's like, yeah, still holds up. This is great. I I told Alex, I
0: worked for a bank that uh, they had the account for Now Comics. Okay. And and before Marvel's, Alex did a a Terminator story called The Burning Earth. Yeah. And it was a trade. And uh, literally, I'm like the, you know, I'm in customer service and I would like process different accounts check by check. And one of the accounts I would have to do was Now Comics. And I'd be like, what is this, Terminator, Burning Earth, and now comics. They were doing Speed Racer at the time, and they were doing um, The Green Hornet at the time, and I loved those comics. And I'm like, who, you know, what is this? And I looked it up, and I'm like, oh, my God, and it's this painted artist, Alex Ross, and the art looked amazing. It really did. And then, yeah, when Marvels came out, it was like, holy shit. Yeah. But it was yeah, it was really interesting, yeah, and it was like, you know, and I know they kind of screwed him over at Now Comics with, like, he never fully got paid for the job or whatever.
1: No. Oh, <laughs>
0: Yeah, man. But, I mean, literally, like, every month it was just, like, a couple dozen checks for more trades of this, you know, Burning Earth Terminator book. And I'm like, what the hell is this, man? <laughs> you know, that's pretty interesting. So, oh, no, Alex was amazing. Was there a was there a, an artist that you got to work with any spe- specific time? Beyond your, your peers, was there an old-time artist or one that you've always admired you're like, holy shit, I got to do a story with
1: him? John Severin.
0: That's awesome. I didn't, you didn't have to what?
1: think about it. John Severin. I, what story? Uh I I did this I did this uh maxi series, twelve issues, uh called Caper. Of course. Was, oh
0: yes, I remember John's yeah. contribution. Go on.
1: Yeah. So i um, I so for those – will tell the um, others, yeah. Yeah, so I did, I'm sure we've talked about it before we too, did. yeah. I think but... we did. We did talk about Caper. So Caper was a crime series I did, which um it was three separate stories, um, three different time periods, so like uh like four issues per – her time period, one was, one was from the, uh, um, well, one is like modern day. It was like I guess it was the nineties. Another one was from the nineteen seventies, and the other was uh, turn of the century. San Francisco It was nineteen oh six. San Francisco. So three of those. Um, so the nineteen seventies one, I put it to Bob Shrek. I said, you know, you know, it'd be great if if I get John Savern to do this. And Bob said, well, we can call him. And I had he had some script. I had some scripts done and went to him, and he said he wanted to do it. And I just, I I just could not believe it. Um, wow. The thing with, and the thing with John Severin, right? It's same deal as Neil Adams. Okay. It's the same, it's the same compliments. Um, what was funny was I did a, it was basically a murder mystery, crime of the century sort of thing, kind of like an OJ trial during the 1970s, a, uh, a movie star is accused of killing his wife in the 1970s. And what, was, what was funny is that when I would make references that like, okay, so we should see this couple and they're they're, they're they're big movie stars and sort of like in the vein of of like a Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward. So he would draw Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward and look exactly like them. And, <laughs> and it doesn't even look like he's doing a caricature or working on a photo reference. It almost looked like just from memory. He just drew Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward. And it's like, oh my God, that's them. Um, and I said like a character should be like kind of a Rob Lowe looking character. And he's he like the second or third lead in the book. And he just drew him. So like Rob Lowe is in the comic. He just looks like Rob Lowe. And it was, it was just one of those things where I learned by the end is like, all right, I got I got to I got to make sure that <laughs> if I'm making this call, that I definitely want this person to look exactly like this person, because that's that's what John can do. And he was not a young man when he did this book. And it was all really spot on. It was just um, and, uh, you know, and not not a simple old story. It's 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 a murder mystery. And, uh, and one for adults and, you know, definitely kind of R rated in, uh, in the violence and, you know, in some of the, yeah. lore, you know, people get, people get killed. Um, but God, it was just, it was an amazing thing to get the pages turned in, um, because he works, his work is so clean. There's no hiding. anatomy's perfect. The acting is great. Um, so it was just one of those things. And, um, you know, and when he passed away, it was, it was, uh, um, my heart sank, but he wasn't a young man. It was it wasn't like he was taken from us as, you know, sure. <laughs> before his time. And he left, left a huge body of work, but it was something I was incredibly grateful for. I mean, I, I'm surprised. Yeah, go ahead. No, no. I mean, I, you know, read everything from, you know, work he'd done on Hulk to, uh, to Cracked Magazine. <laughs> Sure. Yeah, very
0: long, very long career with
1: Crack. Yeah. Absolutely. No, he would do their MASH parodies, and Jesus Christ. Right. They look spot on. Like that's, oh, yeah. That's Alan Alda. That's a, Look at him. God almighty. Within the last 10 years, I remember
0: seeing on eBay some crack pages uh, of John's. And yeah, they were... No, I remember seeing a Barney Miller parody that I'm like, oh, fuck, I wish I had the money. I would totally buy that.
1: You know, because it
0: was this full page of Barney Miller stuff. It was great.
1: That looked exactly like them. And, and absolutely they didn't have that stink of photo reference. They just... Like, like Jack Davis. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, that's
0: the thing. Severin and Davis it's and I was going to say, we really haven't seen and maybe because it was it it would be uh, corralling a bunch of different publishers to do a real to do it justice. But it's and and who knows what kind of audience would be necessary for it. But there really hasn't been a great John Severin retrospective yet.
1: No, I think you're right. I think you're right. Because, um, yeah, because he worked for everybody.
0: How- I could ask Dean Mulvaney or somebody like, cause that's the guy who would do it. Obviously, yeah. At
1: IDW no, so but that. he'd have to basically have a come to Jesus conversation with about five companies, um, who don't get along and particularly like each other. So, you know, <laughs> well, who, who gets true. the money? It's like, well, I was thinking the Severns get the money. It's like, well, I don't know. There's an awful lot of Hulk pages in there. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> is, is,
0: uh, it, crazy was Marvel's. Yeah. Mad magazine. Yes. Okay, because I used to get cracked and crazy
1: mixed up. Uh, yes, uh, cracked was I don't know who the hell published that. Marvel did crazy, which I read pretty religiously. Um, I read I read all, I read Mad magazine. I read Cracked magazine. I read crazy um, religiously. Growing up as a cartoonist, sure. the cartoonist I became was had a lot to do with reading these humor magazines.
0: And, who were the, the artists that you loved in those?
1: Films? Oh well, Severin, top to bottom. Jack Davis was sure. terrific. Uh, sure. Um, and now i'm blanking on who would always do the uh Arigotis? yeah well yeah actually Ar- yes i wasn't playing aragonis i was trying to think of a who did all the pa- the movie parodies uh, It was
0: uh um uh okay and, and mad yeah i don't know well that's a good question cuz i don't know i'm
1: um i'm, I'm actually i got to turn around and, like look at my bookshelf as i talk to you
0: yeah no i want you to look cuz i was thinking it would be maybe jack davis cuz he did a lot of celebrity
1: yeah, he did some of them. I'm trying to think of. Uh, okay, it's evading me. But um, was you know, Dave Berg? You did But you, you, you know, <laughs> you know, it was in Crazy Magazine. and It was awesome. And I talked. It was one of the first things I told. I told him when I met him. So Mike Carlin, uh, Mike Carlin, uh, former editor in chief of DC Comics, a right. man who sure headed the editor. death of Superman. Yep. Yes, Um, yes. He's been at DC for a very long time He's at DC Animation He's at DC Animation, yes, exactly Um, And he was my editor-in-chief for a while And my editor proper for uh, a number of years And I consider him a buddy So he did, for years in Crazy Magazine He did the final page every issue Which was the inside back cover And it was called Mike Carlin's Page O Stuff Being Page O Stuff, O apostrophe stuff And it was just a page full of ridiculous cartoons um, all like sort of collage like slapped together. Terrible puns, great puns. Like one that I stole for years. There was a there's a there's a cartoon of uh, Buddha sitting there happily. It says, and there's a there's a there's, a, there's a, a word balloon saying Buddha, and it's pointing to Buddha. And this is another guy next to him poking Buddha in his side. And the caption reads Buddha pest. Ha <laughs> It's I been like 30 years. I still remember that joke. And when I was a kid, I stole it and used it in my own cartoons and claimed it as my own.
0: <laughs> Mike, I stole this from you. Yeah. I oh, know. Yeah. <laughs> That's fantastic. That's great. So, if, Carlin's awesome. He's, so. And it drives me crazy because typical company bullshit cannot get him on Word Balloon. Really? They they're like no and it wasn't it wasn't Mike's like I'll do it but you know I I need approval and I'm like okay and they're like no <laughs> and, and I'm just like why it's like and they, and they really had no good reason and honestly like I was dealing with a DC PR person that isn't there anymore who's a good good guy right and it was just no why because we said so I'm like fuck you and I called him on the phone and I'm like come on man you and I have known each other long enough that you, I can't deal with that he's like. It's not coming from me. I'm sorry. And I said, "Fine, that I'll accept." Uh, and I and I said, "Why?" And he goes, "I wish I could give you a good reason. They just said no."
1: It's a crime. Mike's got so many stories. I know.
0: Oh, it drives me nuts cuz like he's become really good friends with Art Baltazar. Yeah. Uh, okay. And and so, you know, we'll we'll you know, as you know, you know. So yeah, we'll go to we'll go to San Diego or whatever. And, yeah, we I had a great dinner with him. And I'm like, oh, Mike, you know, this is hilarious. You get, I go, everything, not just DC. I want to talk Marvel. I i would talk crazy and stuff like that. Maybe I can get him to do Marvel and crazy, given that it wouldn't be company stuff. I'm going to have to see <laughs> if I run into him. I'm going to have to ask him at San Diego. If you
1: don't talk about DC Comics, if we just stick to Marvel, Crazy Magazine. I mean, actually, we right. could probably do an hour on Crazy Magazine alone. Well, there you go, man. No, but honestly, I am,
0: a lot of times I'll have... You know, guys, on and it's like there's, and this is one of the reasons why I'm glad we're having this kind of conversation. You know, it's like no, there's not enough time to go back and Wade, let's talk about your KZAR run, right? Right, <laughs> you, know, I mean, right. you know, and shit like that. I'd love to do that, but it's like, yeah, you know, and especially I love because Wade and I and I tease him about every time about when he's on WordBlunt. He's always like, all right, I I only have about a half hour, maybe forty minutes, and that's <laughs> it. And I'm like, okay, no problem. Okay, So three and a half you know, and hours
1: and, later, you, you you're dying to take a pee. <laughs> And uh <laughs> well, and
0: because he only—I've heard your shows with Bendis, I've heard your shows with Marty Pasco. I know what you can do, and I—I I, I, I just don't have that time. I like talking to you, John. It's not that I don't like you. And I'm like, I get it, I get it. It's all right. <laughs> so, and I do, and then so I really I should run tape when you know we're having dinner or whatever. And then he does like, yeah, there was this really great Leo Dorfman Superman story in 1961. <laughs> go on, <laughs> <laughs> you know,
1: <laughs> I miss that. One of my, so that's thing, one of my favorite stories I tell often, often. Um, Wade and I, uh, years ago, we used to. It was like for five or six years, we had a a, a standing breakfast at San Diego Comic Con. He and I used to get that's together it. for breakfast, and it was this went on for years. Um, and then we just got too busy, and, and what have you. Um, and you know, some years I'd go. What in any event, one time I tell him the story about a the, a seminal comic for me was Action Comics 500 um i might have been 9 years old when it came out and uh it was uh the it was i was like a 100 page I- issue it was gigantic super whatever they were calling it and sure. the superman museum was opening up in metropolis it was basically you know story. it was on. a wonderful excuse to tell superman's origin in its entirety and they also framed it that superman was there and he was going to walk uh this crowd of friends and reporters through the museum and he was going to tell stories and he also was then also we're going to do the internal monologue where we'd we'd cut away to flashbacks and get what actually happened to superman during you know during this time period um and it had some great moments there including and as i was telling mark about it mark's quoting the the lines to me (laughs) um which was awesome it was this really wonderful moment where superman's actually talking about crypto and uh talking about how much he meant to him and then Mark actually quotes the dialogue back to me. And I was like, wow, holy shit. And we, like, we spent most of the pressure talking about this one comic. And I said, really, as a kid, it really, really struck me. And uh, jump ahead five hours later. Uh, like I'm, I'm signing books. Wade comes up behind me, comes behind the table, gives me a nudge. And he hands me the comic. He went and found <laughs> it. He went and found Action Comics 500 and he bought it for me. And uh, like, that's the kind of cat he is. You know,
0: that's awesome. Man. Written, by the way, written by Marty Pascal. There you go. Right. There you go. I, I remember that story. Well, absolutely, man. Ah, uh, that's that's great. Well, that shows you what kind of match exactly Mark is and stuff. Yes. But I got to tell you, and especially given uh, Rebirth just happened. And and in fact, uh, the episode that precedes this one was uh, a talk with Dan Jurgens, who is writing the new Rebirth Superman, who isn't new, <laughs> is actually the uh, pre it's the, uh, it's the crisis on, if it's the pre-Flashpoint Superman. Yeah, yeah. I guess is the way to say it. So it's the guy who lived through Crisis on Infinite Earths and married Lois and, you know, they have the baby and stuff like that. Right. But I, I was telling him how much I love that Bronze Age, uh, and, and really that Action 500 was kind of at the end of it. But that, that era of Superman, that Julie Schwartz was the editor and, uh, Carrie Bates and, and Danny O'Neill and, um. Or rather, Carrie Bates, Elliot Magan, and Marty Pascoe yes. were like the rotating writers.
1: Yes. Talking about a deep bench, you know? <laughs>
0: yeah, man. Oh, no. And it just, you know, and it was when Clark was working for WGBS. Right. And Steve Lombard was, you know, uh, unscrewing the, the, the nuts in his chair so he'd you know, fall <laughs> over and, you know, just ridiculous shit like that. But it was great. And it was that, that um, supporting cast that really made those stories, like, you know, beyond – all right, Superman's fighting villain of the week. You had your little moment in the GBS newsroom and stuff of like, yeah, Steve pulling some prank on Clark and Clark using his heat vision to, you know, fry Steve's ass or something. Yeah,
1: And they they always felt very much like they were, um, still, you know, in hindsight, these were all ages comics that anybody could read, but they were not childish. They, uh, they still managed to tell a story in a real kind of way without being silly. I always, yeah.
0: And that and also they would they would really and, and really Marvel did the same thing in the '60s. Yeah, they tied a current pop culture, right? In like you know you had Johnny Nevada, and that was Johnny Carson. That was right. that was the Superman universe Johnny Carson and stuff like. Right,
1: right, right.
0: You know, I mean, it just just things, just simple things like that. No, I uh, that to me was like a really. I mean, like you know, there are clunkers in there, and there are ridiculous stories, but there are a lot of good Superman stories in there too. And yeah, I just I think that's an era that just gets overlooked. Absolutely. Have you read Rebirth?
1: I have not read it yet. And I have only not read it yet. And we can maybe we can talk about process. I have not read it yet because um I'm about a week away from finishing the next draft of uh of my next Hilo book. Fantastic. And I don't I don't read I don't read comics while I'm writing it. <laughs> it, it just I just it, and I, I think it has more to do with age than anything else. I realized when um, I started doing this graphic novel series that I had to stop reading basically uh, comics. I was gonna like try to say no, nope, not superhero comics, not graphic novels, none of them. Basically, all kinds of graphic storytelling. I have to stop looking at it while I'm doing this because it gets into my head too much, and um, <laughs> then I, I'm not relaxing when I'm reading it. I'm thinking about my own book while I'm reading other people's books. So I can't enjoy the book that I'm reading and it just gets me too anxious. So I'm winding up, you know, I, I read a tremendous amount of prose that has nothing to do like, uh, you know, I'm reading crime novels. I'm reading uh, a uh, like, uh, um, you know, all, all the guys who are like basically in the bullpen of the wire. <laughs> cool. <laughs> like, that's and- so I've not read it yet. I've heard great stuff. And I'm very, very anxious that I know about the week after next. I finally get to read this stack I got over here ready to go. <laughs> so, okay. What, what What are your thoughts thus far, sir? Are you enjoying it?
0: I am. No, I have to admit, I, I truly am. And I've had I had Tom King on to talk about Batman, and I had Dan on to talk about Superman. Yeah. And I loved I loved Jeff's first issue. I really enjoyed. Uh, I had I had Ruck on before the Wonder Woman uh, run started, but I, he did a great job on the first issue and. Uh, like Green Arrow. Haven't read Sam Humphrey's Green uh, Lantern yet, but I'm looking forward to it. Um, yeah, I, I and I and I like the big story, and I'm willing to... I, I won't deny that I'm another person that when it's like, oh, you're putting Watchmen in the DC universe? Oh. Right, right. You know, at least that's the that's the suggestion. I mean, Jurgens is like, are you sure about that? <laughs> and it's like, okay, that's fine, too. If it's a good story, that's great. And I trust Jeff. Jeff, no. That's the thing, man. You know, I... Uh, and you've certainly had thousands more conversations. I mean, Jeff gets these characters. And really, if he's the, you know, f- the last great event that DC had was Flashpoint. Right. And that was Jeff. Right. And and I, you know, I mean, that's the thing. Jeff knows these characters. I think the last five years, it got way away from the original concepts too far away. Mm-hmm. And I think they're doing what they need to in terms of reconnecting their heroes to themselves and, and getting back to what was good about them. And I don't think it's... um I don't know, you know, everyone's, oh, you just like, you know, Dad's, DC stands for Dad's Comics and stuff like that. <laughs> I, I, think, I think Marvel does the same thing. I think there's a history, and it's important to, yes, tell new stories and move the story forward, but don't deny this history, the history that happened. And to start again at, at zero, it was a mistake.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of it is, I mean, it, it's, it, there's, there's a fair amount of trial and error, um, and it's unfortunate, um, you know, you don't do it in a vacuum you you screw up if, 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 and I, and I don't necessarily agree that I'm, I'm calling it a screw up in, in italics and quotes. Um, you know, if mistakes are made, it's done in front of people, you know, you, yes. you know, people are reading and, you know, and, uh, if the fans don't like it, they're obviously gonna be vocal about it and, um, all your growing pains will show. Um, but I think, you know, I think, I think the thing is that, you know, culture has changed as far as, you know what we can do with stories, and how we take care of these stories, and what we do with these characters, who are getting up on eighty years old. You know that some of them have been in print for for eighty years. We're getting on there, um, so things have to evolve and change in a lot of ways, whilst still maintaining the core of the character. Um, and uh, it's dicey again. Little bit of real estate. You can only you can only move around so far. Otherwise it's otherwise you do hear that 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 bell that rings, which says. It's not even remotely like Superman. It's not even Superman anymore. And uh, sometimes they're right, you know, other times they're dead yeah. wrong. It's like, no, you know what? That was the one you grew up with, and that one doesn't work anymore. We need to do this one. We need to do this one that, you know, a 12 year old who's reading comics for the first time will actually, you know, relate to in some way. Relate's the wrong word, just find
0: get right discover it yeah 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 Root no core. you're right and I, in fact i i brought that up to jerkins in terms of isn't it interesting because really what they tried to do with uh new 52 is essentially what burn did with superman in terms of nope we're taking him back to the beginning and now superman is this and everything you loved about candor and the legion of superheroes connection and supergirl and all that stuff nope gone see you later we're starting at the beginning again they did the same thing with the new 52 but it worked with burn it didn't work in this uh in this version yeah yeah. I don't know. But there you go, man. Well, there you go. Thank you, dude. I, You know, I, I think this was my, – my intent with this show was it's almost like it's Sunday and or Monday and they're done with their holiday weekend and they're heading back home and stuff. And it's like, all right, so this is like we're kind of along for the car ride or whatever or the plane <laughs> ride. And we're just like kind of in their head and their earbuds and stuff. And, you know, they're in the back seat. We're in the front seat driving and we're having this conversation and they're listening in. So I think we accomplished That sounds it. exactly right. <laughs> I think we did just do that, and that works just fine for me. Excellent, we Well, stay in touch when Hilo is uh, is uh, back with it. Would it be Volume Two?
1: Volume Two came oh. out uh, uh, about a month ago, May. Uh, came out oh May shit! 17th. Man. Yeah, May seventeenth.
0: Uh, oh, I didn't realize. Yeah. that. we could have talked about Volume Two as well.
1: We'll, we'll have plenty of time to do that because the next one comes out in January. So I okay. can I can do the the humble brag that uh, so Book One and Book Two are both uh, New York Times bestsellers. At a boy. You know, they're actually, I have the bragging rights that both are on the list at the same time, which was, I didn't know that could happen, but it does. So That's fantastic. Oh, man. it's, you know, it's like eating a ton of ice cream every day. It's the best. I can't even tell you. <laughs> it's, I think it's only, the only thing that makes it, you know, that much better is there's no bigger fans of Hilo than my own children. So, you know, that and the combo platter of it doing very, very well, like, couldn't be better.
0: I forget who I was telling them. I'm like, no, Hilo would be something that I would read with my kids and stuff like that. It is kind of that perfect marriage of, of picture and story and everything. So oh, and you know what you're doing there. I
1: deeply appreciate it. Thank you.
0: Absolutely. And thank you for this. This was fun. And yeah, when uh you know, we can we can chat again either when uh volume three comes out or if you want before the end of the year, I'm always I'm always available for another chat.
1: Awesome buddy. Well again, I have a great time doing this. Thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure, as always. That's Judd Winnick, and
0: uh, it was a pleasure having him back on Word Balloon. Thanks a lot for listening today. Word Balloon is brought to you by InStockTrades at InStockTrades.com, where you can get things like The Avengers by John Byrne Omnibus. Wow, what a collection. 45% off, just $55. You can also get Injustice, Gods Among Us, Year 4, Volume 1, featuring uh, Brian Buccolato, another guy that I'm really happy I ran into. At uh, see, C, at, at C, I was gonna say C2E2 at San Diego, but reduce Bruce Redondo, Mike Miller, and Juan Albaran are the uh, artists. And uh, man, I'll tell you, uh, during that wilderness time of DC, one of the few titles you could count on for very interesting storytelling was the Injustice tie in. Man, it, it is excellent. Uh, these are the uh, issues one through seven from volume four, 50% off, only seven dollars and 49 cents. Green Arrow by Kevin Smith, the classic run featuring art by my buddies Phil Hester and Andy Parks. Uh, What a great story uh, in all 15 issues for a terrific price 50% off, $12.49. Doom Patrol, Trade Paperback Volume 2. This is uh, Morrison's classic run, Kelly Jones doing uh, the art among others. And uh, this is also 50% off, just $14.99. My pals Brian Bendis and Mike Oming with uh, United States of Murder Trade Paperback Volume 1. It's called Truth, The Creators of Powers with a brand new series completely separate from the Powers universe. 50% off, $9.99. Check out all these deals. They are waiting for you at InStockTrades.com. And uh, you will find great books that you will not believe. Thanks for listening to Word Balloon today. Thank you again, League of Word Balloon listeners. I got to meet some of you in San Diego. It was great shaking hands. The panels went great. Uh, I'm going to have an original art panel with Sal Abenati, And uh, also, um, I had the uh, uh, history of comic book films uh, in the uh, 40s and even the silent era. Trevor Goring and I had a wonderful conversation. And I am so pleased. Thank you all uh, who showed up at the library because the library is like a 10- or 15-minute walk. Really, it's a 15- to 20-minute walk away from the convention floor. So, you you know, you walk that far, you listen for 50 minutes, and then you walk back. You know, literally, you lose almost an hour and a half of uh, floor time. And, uh, man, I was really impressed. Several dozen people showed up. And that really meant a lot. And, uh, and I know for a fact they were there to hear Trev talk uh, and not just, you know, came for the... Uh, The panels before and after us, because I saw the headcounts on both both sides of me, and I am very shocked to say, no, they came to watch the panels. That really meant a lot. Thank you. And uh, you know, if in in the future, and I, I don't think I said it enough because I wasn't sure, but I did finally confirm it at the library. Those library panels are totally free to the public. So there's a lot of entertainment that happens in San Diego if you can't get into the convention itself. Literally across the street, and the library is a prime example of that. And they do have quality panels there, so uh, you should really consider that if, uh, even if you don't get a badge, uh, the amazingly fun, ridiculous time that you can have in San Diego during Comic Con. So it's, I can appreciate being like, you know, that's almost like, you know, hanging out in a baseball park outside the uh, park while the game's going on, and you're not inside to enjoy it without the radio or TV advantage that you get in a football or baseball game. All that said, I'm telling you, I had just as much fun across the street as I did inside the convention center. So thank you very much for coming to the library. So there's my big, uh, you know, I'll, I'll drop some of these ball as uh, <laughs> as uh, I wrap up this week and uh, the month of July. And, uh, you know, get back on the swing of things and really uh, give you guys as much entertainment as I can uh, through these last few days of July. Enjoy the works uh, that are coming up. And uh, thanks for listening today. Uh, we'll check in with more great conversations from Word Balloon in the days ahead. Until next time, Word Balloon is a copyright feature of Shaky Productions. Copyright 2016.